All right. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Image Church OC Online for this Sunday evening Bible study on November 15th. Yeah, exciting. Um, before we get into our study tonight and our psalm reading, we'll go ahead and start off with just a couple of minutes of meet and greet time. So if you're out there and if you're watching, go ahead and say hi. Let us know you're there. Let us know where you're joining from. We'd love to be able to greet you again. Um, it's been such a joy and a privilege to be able to do ministry online, do Bible studies and services online, because we're getting to meet all of you, so many people from all over the country and even different parts of the world. And so it's been an absolute blessing. Of course, we have uh, local church members as well that uh, couldn't meet with us for various reasons today. And so again, we really uh, love and appreciate so much uh, just your, your fellowship, your support online and just what god's doing uh through the internet definitely redeeming the internet to the best of our ability so let me go ahead and see who's joining with us tonight as you all check in get ready to go just say hi let us know you're there and let us know where you're joining from tonight i see my wonderful mother karen is joining us tonight she says hello there watching from her couch in costa mesa yeah you know you you really can't beat the comfort uh, level of doing uh, service online. You get your favorite couch or chair, recliner. Uh, Judy is there. Glad you can make it, Judy. Judy says, good evening from Mission Viejo. Uh, Christiane and the Honeycutt family, awesome, joining us from Fallbrook. So glad you guys could make it. Ashley and the family, hello, church. They said we are watching from Sonoma. So blessed to be here with you. Awesome. So glad you guys can make it. Efren joining us from Mira Loma. Good evening, Efren. So glad you could join us. Again, friends, we'll just take about another minute or so to do some meet and greet time, and then we'll we'll get into our study tonight. Uh, Tracy there joining us. She says, good evening, joining from Colorado. Awesome. So glad you can make it, Tracy. Hope you and your family are doing well. Again, everyone, if you want to, while everyone's checking in and saying hi and letting us know they're there and we're seeing where we're joining from tonight, just make sure you have your Bibles out and ready to go. And we'll begin by reading Psalm 147 together, and then we'll pray and we'll get into our study. We're continuing our study of uh, the book of Exodus, so we'll talk a little bit about that and how we're getting back into that and why. So again, we'll take just one more minute. Go ahead and open up your Bible, Psalm 147. And again, I, I do um, uh, apologize for our online community. Again, as things move forward, we will uh, do more and more and improve more. Just, you know, it's obviously it's been kind of a crazy, uh, crazy seven, eight, eight months and, you know, just kind of figuring things out. So right now, because uh, I know a number of you have shared, you know, the our online services are, are your church uh, right now for uh, various reasons. I know some are just not able to go. Uh, anywhere they're they're home and so this has been kind of a lifeline for them um, uh, I know others have different situations so again real quick right now we're just trying to do like a once a month uh, in-person gathering and for various reasons obviously COVID restrictions are always an issue I've been told um, Orange County California is going back into the purple tier so my non-California friends the purple tier is like the worst of the many tiers that we can be in and that means churches cannot meet indoors at all not even not even with mass and distancing and 
no singing and no donut eating or whatever, right? So it's it's going back there. So we're trying to plan around all of that and figure out. So right now we're just trying to do once a month outside. So that means we're going to do regular online Sunday morning, 10 a.m. services uh, most of the time. So, you know, 75% uh, of the time or more. 80% of the time. Now, for that one time a month when we do an in-person service, again, we're going to figure things out. We're either going to eventually stream those uh, live so you can watch, but I do want the quality to be good. So if the audio is just lousy, because I've honestly, I've seen uh, churches where they were meeting outside and trying to stream it and like the music, I couldn't hear what in the world they were singing. If it was like Megadeth or or Hillsong. I didn't know. It was like the sound was so bad. So I don't want us to be that bad. If the sound and quality is that bad, I'd rather do something online specific. Um, looking into bringing uh, other worship leaders because our morning worship person couldn't do an evening thing. So we're we're ironing out all those different challenges, but I we are committed to doing it. Uh, we love you guys. We appreciate you. And we certainly want to do everything we can to make it as full of a worship experience as possible. So again, I do appreciate you guys, um, just your your patience and graciousness as we work our way through this uh, time as well. I see the Contreras family, awesome. So glad you guys can make it. All right, well, let's go ahead, everyone, and we'll uh, dig into God's word again. Sorry, I, I apologize. We don't have a worship leader for us tonight, so it's mainly a, a Bible study. It's the same text that I taught on this morning in our in-person meeting. So we're going to begin with Psalm 147, and I encourage you to follow along with me now as I read God's word. Psalm 147 is a praise to God for his word and his providence. Beginning in verse one, this is God's word. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the heart to our God who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and he melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that it is the Holy Spirit 
who moved and carried along these inspired biblical writers so that these words are the words of God. And so we just pray, Lord, that tonight, just as you breathed life into Adam, we pray you would breathe life into us tonight. Lord, I know that we are all surrounded on all sides by so many challenges today, both personal and corporate. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would empower your people, that you would produce change in us, that you would strengthen and equip us, that our minds would be sharpened by the truth, and that you would use us to make a difference in the world with the time that has been given to each one of us. We ask for your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone. So again, thank you so much for joining. I see Trudy is able to join us as greetings from Long Beach. So glad you can make it, Trudy. Again, so we just read Psalm 147 together. And so I was praying over what to teach on this Sunday. You know, normally we were going through the book of Exodus, but obviously there have just been so many uh, major current events happening and taking place. And uh, I knew many people, some of you, some in our uh in our local congregation. Uh, we're just you know, very anxious about things. Uh, some people are scared. Some people are you know, upset. Uh, some people are happy. Just, I mean, all kinds of emotions all across the board. And so I wanted to acknowledge that and I wanted to be able to teach from God's word specifically on those instances. And so I was praying about that possibly again. Obviously there's many things uh, specifically going on right now. Um, but as I was praying over that, I felt like the Lord led us back to Exodus to pick up our study in the book of Exodus, going through the Ten Commandments. And before we actually get into the, the verse for tonight, which is going to be the Ninth Commandment, that's Exodus 20:16. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there to Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. So we're going to be looking at the Ninth Commandment, just that one verse tonight. But you might be thinking, you know, how how in the world does the ninth commandment, what does that have to do with what's going on all around us? And so let me kind of share with you why I think the Lord put this verse back on my heart and getting back into the book of Exodus and the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And here's kind of the thought that the Lord put on my heart. We need to be the revival that we want to see. We, you, us, believers, we need to be the revival we want to see. So I know uh, a lot of us, many of us, perhaps all of us, I think if we look out in the world and we see what's going on, um, not that there's no good going on. I do think there's good going on, um, but there's also a lot of things that are not good that are happening right now. And so I think, and a lot of those things that are happening that are not good are far beyond the control of individuals. Um, maybe you have a say, uh, possibly, but um, you're not in control, right? We're not in control of a lot of the things that are going on. And so I know for many people, what they are doing is they're looking at the things on, on the surface. Um, again, uh, politics, for example. And a lot of people, both believers and unbelievers alike, are almost acting you know, very religious uh, uh, about politics. And I kind of understand why, but I also think um, that there can be a mistaken assumption when we look at things that way. And so let me kind of put it to you this way. Um, think of a think of a mountain and think of the snow at the top, right? Like so much of the water in the world. And I did look this up, so I'm not just making it up. You know, so much of the water in the world comes down from 
melted ice caps from the snow that gets dumped on the top of a mountain and then it melts and then it runs down the mountain and ends up in these streams and rivers and you know these bodies of water lakes or what have you and so let's let's compare life to down here uh where this water feeds from and i think if if the water is poison we see something wrong with the water we we don't see the mountaintop we just look at the next thing that's up and so you have life as experience, the way you and I experience life, just everyday life. And that's why politics is so powerful, because it can literally affect your life like that. If they raise taxes on you, uh, raise property taxes. I know in California there was Prop 15, and all my small business owner friends were saying, no, we do not want our property tax you know, raised and things like that. So politics, many times, it can make immediate effective change. It changes life as you experience it on a daily basis. So many people focus solely on politics but this is why i think the word of god is so important why getting back to the the law the the legal codes of the bible the moral principles of the bible um, because ultimately politics is not the source of all these things politics is actually downstream from culture culture feeds politics and if you go up a little bit further up the mountain past culture you find morality and morality if you go past morality to the very top of the mountain you find religion faith what people ultimately believe about reality and i would say this is not only true for for you and i as christians that we believe that's the top of the mountain that's what feeds morality that in turn feeds culture that in turn feeds politics and that in turn feeds what you and i experience on a daily basis I would even say that even a person who identifies as irreligious or secular, the same pattern, the same sources hold true. They may deny God in theory, but they ultimately have to have some account of what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What is a human being? What are human beings for? What is ultimate? What is the good? What is the true? What is the beautiful? Those are religious concerns. And human beings in that sense are inescapably religious. We are spiritual religious creatures, though fallen ones for sure. And so here's my point tonight as a pastor. I know many people, including believers, that are looking at our immediate situation and thinking the only way we can change what's wrong with the world is to is to get control of politics to to have power to get this person put in this person out vote this proposition in, take this proposition out. then all will be right with the world and i want to say politics matters but it is not everything i want to liken it to treating a symptom when you actually have a disease so for example, if somebody has a rash, it just won't go away and it's burning and it's itching. But what happens if you find out you do blood work and you're, you're putting ointment on it because it burns and it itches and so you're covering it up and you wanna deal with the symptom but ultimately the ointment isn't gonna heal it. It isn't gonna go away, you're gonna have it. All year long, every day, you're gonna deal with it. You need to go do blood work and you do the blood work and you find out it's something else. You gotta get down to it. Now I liken that to this whole situation with politics. If you've got that that burning rash, oh, of course you're gonna deal with the symptom. Yes, exactly, I, I see it, I feel it, I wanna deal with it, yes. But a wise person would say, I not only wanna deal with the symptom, you know, the pain and discomfort, I wanna deal with the cause of it. And I think as believers, that's how we have to look at society, 
societal problems, political problems, political issues. We need to look at that as symptoms. Too many people are looking at it like it's ultimate. And friends, I'm telling you, it is not ultimate. This battle is not ultimately fleshly and carnal and political. It is spiritual. And you can only fight spiritual battles with spiritual armor, with spiritual power. And so as we come back to Exodus, as we come back to the Ten Commandments, I want to remind us that this is not an escape from reality. Rather, this is preparation for ultimate reality, preparation for the real battle as it really is. And so I, I hope that God will do this work in us. Because as we see the problems in the world and, and we say, man, they got to change this and I wish this guy would do this or this woman wouldn't do that, whatever it is, I believe we have to take ownership. Like, Lord, search our hearts. Judgment begins at the house of God. Lord, if we are doing anything wrong, if we need to get this together, if we're using their bad behavior and their bad ideas as an excuse not to be sanctified and to clean up our act, Lord, show us. I believe that revival has to begin with us. We need to be the revival that we want to see. And I believe God wants to do that. And by the grace of God, maybe we will see it in our time. So what I want to do now with that said, with that preface, is I want to get into our study tonight. We're going to read the ninth commandment, which is Exodus 20, 16. We'll pray one more time over this portion of our study, and we'll get into it. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus 20, verse 16. This is God's word. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you who created human beings, you know what they are for because you created them for a purpose. You understand how human beings are meant to live, how we think best, live best, act best you know perfectly because you made us and yet lord we know the world around us and we are tempted to do this ourselves is to not take our instructions from you it is to make up our own path and our own way apart from scripture apart from divine revelation but lord we pray that tonight by your grace you would draw us again to your word because it is food for our souls. It gives us spiritual life. As the Lord Jesus taught us, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this bit of instruction. And we do pray that you would not only teach us the importance of honoring and obeying the ninth commandment, but more than that, you would show us how it is fulfilled in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, and how through the Holy Spirit, we can be a part of what you are doing in the world to change the world for the glory of God. We ask for your blessing now over this time of study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone. Well, uh, we have before us the ninth commandment. It's one verse. And you might think to yourself, 
I don't really need a study on this, you know, like, hey, maybe, maybe I do need a pastor for this and maybe for that, but I don't really think I need help for chapter 20, verse 16. And in a sense, I, I, I think you're quite right, but I do want to point out, I, I think there's more to this idea. And certainly I, I want to show you what the struggle is, what the challenge is when we take into account spiritual realities. So look at the text itself. It is a prohibition, and it says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, scholars of Hebrew can debate a little bit. Uh, most will come down on the side of this does mean specifically a legal context. So the word ana, uh, don't bear, it's actually the word answer. Um, it's not normally the Hebrew word that we would use um, lift to carry to bear nasa, uh, but rather it's ana. Um, again, Hebrew is just, uh, it's built on a verb root system and usually typically there's three uh, consonants. So ana just means to answer or reply. And it's a word that's used all throughout Hebrew narratives when characters are talking back and forth, when Abraham and Sarah are talking, you know, and says Abraham replied, Anna, same, same word used here. So some scholars would point out, well, it's just a generic verb. It's just a generic word for answer or reply. So perhaps it has a, a broader scope. Um, but it is also true that it is used in a more technical sense, in the sense of, uh, like we would say today in court, if you uh, sue somebody or they sue you, somebody is a respondent. So in the sense of responding, it's technical, a respondent. So you shall not, ana, uh, you shall not reply in a legal sense. You shall not go into court or in legal documents, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not say something against a, a plaintiff or a respondent in a lawsuit that is false. So that that's the plain meaning, and I, I think we all could have kind of got it there. Um, but I think there's some more issues surrounding this, because when it comes to biblical interpretation, it's not all a matter of the mind. It is also a matter of the heart. Because the Bible says that there's a fundamental problem with human beings. See, the Bible takes a different view of human nature than many people do today. For most of Western history, the Western world looked at human beings as being noble creatures, capable of great things, and yet fallen, sinful, and corrupt. So they, they had a balance. It, it wasn't this a totally negative view of humans. No, they could do great, wonderful things, build wonderful things, uh, come up with wonderful ideas. They could, but they also noticed they were capable of horrendous evil. There was that acknowledgement. They were capable of horrendous evil. You don't only get this in some of the secular philosophers, but of course, in the Western philosophical tradition uh, rooted in the Bible, uh, famously propounded, of course, by Augustine in the 5th century AD. He coined the phrase we call original sin. He didn't invent the idea. It's in the Bible, but he did coin that phrase original sin. And what he meant by that is when Adam fell, when Adam and Eve fell, they are the first human pair. And what they did has had an impact on every single human being that has come into the world since. 
So in other words, human beings, when they come into the world today, that includes you and I or our beautiful little sons and daughters or grandchildren. I know you can't believe it. When you see them, when they're born, nope, can't believe it. I can understand. I really could. I could understand why somebody could deny the doctrine of original sin when you're just holding a precious little baby in your hand, that, that warm, sweet-smelling, beautiful little baby boy or baby girl in their, their little diaper, and they're all wrapped up and bundled, and you're like, no, no, the Bible couldn't be right. They couldn't possibly be born in original sin. Well, that's only because they haven't learned to yet communicate with you their sin nature. You, you just hear crying, and I can't distinguish necessarily the crying uh, immediately anyway of, of if, if it's warranted or if it's not or whatever, right? So I can understand why people would believe that when you're looking at a baby. And yet the Bible still insists that that is the case. And it doesn't take long, even with what I would call, quote unquote, good children, I put that in quotes, um, just children of, of naturally, seemingly natural, uh, good disposition, pleasant, um, just kind of obedient, they just lean on that sign, they do kind of want to please their parents, and of course there's ones that, that don't, but fundamentally the Bible says ultimately all of them, either they're not doing what's right, or even if they do what's right, it's not for the right reason. See, the Bible is big on why you do what you do, not just what you do, and that matters quite, quite a bit down the road. So the Bible takes that view, that we're born fundamentally sinful, and that affects how you read the Bible. It affects how you hear the Bible. Because if, the, if reading the Bible and understanding it is merely an intellectual, rational project, then when I read a verse like Exodus 20, 16, this seems cut and dried, no problem, um, it's, it's going to be easy to do. Um, but there is a problem, and it is a problem spiritual, it is a problem of the heart. Now let me show you how the sinful person, the person, again, we're all sinners, but what I'm saying is those who are not born again of the Spirit of God, they don't have the Spirit of God inside them, there's a naturally rebellious disposition, and it comes out two basic ways with respect to a text like the Ninth Commandment. Now, the first way you might recognize, uh, hopefully all of you know the story of the prodigal son. If you don't know the parable of the prodigal son in the Gospels, uh, it's definitely worth reading and just meditating on the parable of the prodigal son, because it points out two basic ways to sin. So the first way of responding that the sinful man might respond to this text, the ninth commandment, is like the younger son. So the younger son might respond to this text by saying, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And the younger brother might say, no, no, I'm not doing it. It's not a matter of, oh, I misunderstood you, or, oh, this Hebrew word might be this, or it could be this, or could, no. The, the one response of the simple man can simply be the younger brother, no. I understand perfectly what you're saying. I know what the words mean. I know what the context is. I know how it should apply, and I'm not doing it. No, I'm just not. So we have to understand that because of sin, that's how some people are going to come to the Bible. I say this because right now many people are like, we got to get people back to biblical morality. And I want that, I assure you. However, they're without the Spirit of God regenerating people so that they're born again. You're going to have a big segment of the population that is like a younger brother. They're going to hear biblical morality and they're going to say, no, I'm not doing it. So that's one way sinful man responds to this text. There's another way to respond to this text, and it might be represented by the elder brother. 
in the story of the prodigal son. The elder brother might actually say yes on the surface. Yes on the surface. So the elder brother might say to the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay. Okay. I agree. I understand what the text means and I'll say yes. But here's what, apart from the spirit of God, the elder brother does with this text. The elder brother says, who's my neighbor? Do you see that? Oh, yeah, I, I believe it. I, I believe that biblical morality. Yeah, yeah, you can't have a stable society if everybody's bearing false witness in a court of law. But who's my neighbor? Is my neighbor the guy next door? Is it the woman across the street? Um, because if so, okay, I won't bear false witness against them. But are you talking about the, the guy two down, two houses down that always calls the cops on us every time we have a birthday party? Or are you talking about them? Because I, I'm, I can't promise I'm not going to bear false witness against them, but they're technically not my neighbor. So one of the things an elder brother, a sinful person might do is they say yes to biblical morality on the surface, but they really find ways around it. Of course, this is one of the very questions posed to Jesus in the Gospels. They said, oh, yes, I love my neighbor, but uh, who's my neighbor exactly? So in biblical morality, our neighbor is our fellow human being. It's not, oh, well, it's people in my group that look like me, that act like me. It's people who vote the same way that I do. It's the people in the same socioeconomic class as me. It's, it's this group. It's that group. No, biblically, your neighbor is human beings. Everybody, uh, your, your fellow image bearers that God has made. But the sinful man says, yes, I will abide by that biblical morality, but the scope of its application is going to be extremely narrow according to who I, I desire to love and not according to those I desire not to. Another way the elder brother might come at the ninth commandment is this. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. No, that's okay. Yes. But that's a legal context. That's only in court. But I can bear false witness about my neighbor outside of court. Again, this is the kind of things that you see the Pharisees doing in the Gospels. Because they want to be biblically moral people on the surface. They want to say, hey, I do this, I do this, I do this, I keep the commandments. But they always find a way around them. In other words, can you really obey this text if you do not understand the intent and meaning of the biblical author? And by the biblical author, I don't mean Moses. I mean the ultimate biblical author, God. Can we understand the intent and meaning? Did God mean to say it's only wrong to bear false witness in a court of law, but you can bear false witness everywhere else. Well, it seems for many people that's the direction our culture is going. People might think it's wrong to lie in a court of law, but lies are pervading our culture today. And this has become a major, major problem. You know, the internet didn't invent lies, but it did create endless possibilities of spreading them. The internet didn't invent lies, but it created endless possibilities of spreading them. I like this uh, excerpt from an article that was written about a year ago, last December. Uh, it appeared in The Verge, written by journalist Addie Robertson, and her article was entitled, How to Fight Lies, Tricks, and Chaos Online. So we have a whole new medium for lies and bearing false witness against our neighbor. 
She says this, a few months ago, I got angry about something on Twitter. Anybody get angry at Facebook or Twitter lately? Something somebody posted. Somebody had tweeted a photo of a paper sign in an apartment building informing tenants that using the elevator would soon cost $35 a month. It was surprising, but on a gut level, exactly the kind of behavior I'd expect from a greedy landlord. The kind of thing that's easy to furiously retweet without thinking. But a little digging showed that the photo was uploaded to Reddit back in 2013, so it wasn't even recent. And the post's author said the signs were quickly taken down. The building manager denied writing them to both the author and a reporter, suggesting that this was either a prank or an immediately abandoned plan. Retweeting the photo would have just outraged people about something that had seemingly never happened. This kind of viral half-truth is part of the fabric of today's internet and the kind of anger it inspired has been turned into a dangerous commodity. In other words, bearing false witness has become a commodity, a dangerous commodity on the internet. Back to her article, she says it's cynically exploited by businesses for ad-supported fake news, by scammers raising money online, and by authoritarian governments to spread hate and fear. She closes by saying, I don't want to blame people who fall for these tricks. A lot of the problems are exacerbated by companies, governments, and other factors that individuals can't control. But the internet is full of grifters, tricksters, and outright liars who rely on people's basic trust to amplify their message. It's worth slowing down and carefully navigating their traps. To avoid spreading an alarming false rumor, getting angry at a group of people for something they didn't even do, or perpetuating an honest misunderstanding, end quote. So again, this false witness, is God concerned with only restricting it to a court of law? Or does the God who gave the ninth commandment at Sinai, does he care about image bearers, human beings, having false things said of them all over the internet? And again, notice that bearing false witness here, notice what it doesn't say in verse 16. It doesn't say, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor maliciously. It doesn't say that. In other words, it doesn't deal with motive. Now, does motive matter? Of course, motive matters. But let's say, for example, you bear false witness about somebody, but you didn't mean to. Does that mean that that therefore that false witness is any less damaging to a person? In the end, it may very well make no difference at all what a person's intentions are when they bear false witness. In other words, to truly fulfill this seemingly negative prohibition, there has to be a positive side to it. In other words, we cannot think of the commands of God merely as negative do-nots. Thou shalt not. 
That's part of it, certainly. But there is what should we do? What shalt thou do? And it is this to which the gospel of Jesus Christ points. You see, friends, the law says thou shalt not bear false witness. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. More than that, perhaps many people are willing to tell the truth about a friend. They're willing to tell the truth about a fellow believer. They're willing to tell the truth about somebody in their political party. But when it comes to an enemy for many people, including professing Christians today, all bets are off. If it's the enemy being talked about, then suddenly there becomes what seems like license and permission given for people to share all kinds of falsehoods, many of them purveying all over the internet. But I want to ask, does the Bible give us permission to say, to bear false witness against people if they're our enemies? In other words, if they're really bad people, and they kind of have it coming, these horrible people, that horrible guy, horrible woman, whatever it is, are we permitted, therefore, as Christians, to bear false witness about them, whether intentionally or perhaps we don't care enough, we don't love them enough to fact check and make sure that what we're about to say about them is actually true. Well, let us see what Jesus has to say about this. Let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, this is what Jesus has to say. Because as I said right now, one of the things that concerns me, both as a Christian, but just um, as somebody who lives in this culture and in this society, one of the scary things for me is that truth is becoming subjective. In other words, that's no longer simply something that philosophers talk about in the classroom, but it's actually a way of life now. For many people, and I see this in politics a lot, truth is not that which corresponds to ultimate reality. It is not that which is absolute. Rather, truth is that which works. Truth is that which advances the cause of an individual or a group. And that's what it is. Truth is no longer something that actually has to correspond to what we used to call facts. But rather, all facts are simply available and open to interpretation. And therefore, truth is just whatever we want to do. So if you really hate somebody or if you really hate a group, we can change the truth. Because that's ultimately what matters in the end is that this gets done. And I'm starting to see that. You see it so much in politics, and it's spreading into the culture. People being willing to change what truth is, the very definition and nature of truth, because they feel somebody or, or some group has it coming. But listen to what Jesus has to say about this twisting of truth to hurt or destroy an enemy. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you 
and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus fulfills the heart of the law that God intended when he gave it at Sinai. When God spoke the ninth commandment, he was in no way saying, I only want bearing false witness in court to be wrong, but everywhere else you do it, in the streets, at the workplace, on Facebook, on Twitter, in emails, in tech, if you bear false witness in all those places, it's fine. And again, I understand why that happens, because the sinful man either says no to God's commands, or the sinful man says yes, but, and qualifies it by all kinds of unholy motivations. So Jesus tells us that as Christians, we are not only to not bear false witness, we are to love our enemies. And what is the loving of an enemy with respect to this idea of bearing witness? The answer is speaking the truth of our enemies. We are called to pray for our enemies and love them, which means if they didn't really do something and they didn't really say something, we have no right because we think lying or presenting misinformation will get our proposition passed or get our candidate into office or strip them of their social currency that we as believers cannot do that. Lies and bearing false witness in any kind cannot be tolerated among us. Furthermore, we cannot be careless. We have to be people who are diligent so that even unintentionally, we are not bearing false witness of people. One of the things that does scare me right now in this culture is that people, when they demonize somebody, they move to demonize them or a group. So demonizing a person or a group. And what they do is they sort of so create hatred towards people that anything you do becomes okay, even if it's a lie. And it, and it just sticks and everybody believes it because it's what they want to believe, not because it's true. And this is a problem I've personally seen all over the place. It's not just in one group or, or another group. It seems to be spreading in our culture. But clearly this is against the way of Jesus. Jesus shows us that while the law restrains and limits sin, the gospel converts a heart. And friends, this is what going to the mountaintop is all about. We don't want to just stay down here and deal with symptoms only. We want to get to the root cause. And I believe at the end of the day, insofar as I think Christians should try to influence culture and morality for the better because they are upstream from politics and daily life, yet ultimately, for many people, they will never ever come 
to any sense of biblical morality or a culture that flows from biblical morality, but that they come to know God through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it is by believing in Jesus that that fundamental problem about humanity that we talked about earlier, that problem that in the heart, though in the mind, you might be able to understand what God has said, but there's an inability to take it for what it is meant for. There's a way of denying or twisting. So we need, if we want to see change, what we need to do is first of all, respond to the very gospel we profess to hold. That we allow God to convert our hearts. Lord, if I hate this person or this group, and maybe you rightly hate what they do, there is a biblical legitimacy to the idea of loving the sin or hating the sin. I know that phrase is not in the Bible, but the concept actually is. So God, if he didn't love us, he wouldn't have died for us, but he also wouldn't have died if there weren't things he hated, which is our sin. So that is a biblical concept, if not a biblical statement. So judgment begins at the house of God. We need to have our hearts converted by the gospel more completely, which we call sanctification. We need to love our enemies, those people, if you feel people are ruining the country, if you feel people are ruining your lives and, and they're doing it deliberately, or maybe some of them you think they're just ignoramuses and they, they, are not, they don't know their left hand from their right, morally speaking, are we praying for them? Do we love them enough to pray for them, pray for our enemies? Do we love them enough to tell the truth about them even when it hurts? Again, this telling the truth, doesn't mean denying the wicked things that they do. No, that must be done. If there is wickedness, yes, we must speak the truth about that. But what we're saying is we can't allow some of the evil that someone does be an excuse for us to pervert reality and to falsely speak about a human being who is made in the image of God. We should treat people's reputation and their name in a sacred way. Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is to be chosen rather than riches. So while, while a knife or a gun can take a person's life, yet bearing false witness can take away their dignity. I don't know if any of you have ever had anybody lie about you or slander you. And honestly, to, to somebody, especially a person of upright character, I think that can really hurt. Because you are somebody that says, you know, I, I do try to live an honest, godly, biblical life. And so I, I do care about my reputation and I want to be a good witness for Jesus. So if somebody lies about you, that can hurt tremendously. It just strips away who you are. And we who are claiming to know Jesus and being conformed to his image, we cannot do that to people. We do have to treat people with dignity and respect, even if they are enemies with regard to their beliefs and their actions. We must speak the truth. Turn with me to Romans 13, and we'll end here. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, refers back to our text tonight. He refers back to the Ten Commandments. He refers to the Ninth Commandment in particular. And he talks about what God was always aiming at in the first place. Read with me, Romans 13, 8 through 10. Quote, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So you see, friends, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, amidst a culture of lies and deception that are able to be peddled all over the internet in ways that were unimaginable to previous generations, no doubt there's lies we're coming across uh, every every time we turn on the news or or you, you see uh, people being interviewed or somebody sending you emails or texts about so-and-so and so-and-so, as believers, we need to honor God's desire for speaking the truth about people and their reputation. We need to guard it zealously, and we don't get to decide who gets that right. I reserve the right of bearing true witness only to my friends, only to people in my church, only people that I like in my church, only people that vote the way I think they should vote, but the rest of them, I, I'm going to bear false witness about them, or at least, and I believe this is probably where a lot of us would most likely fall into, not bearing false witness intentionally, but carelessly, because we don't love people sometimes, our enemies enough to do the hard work of making sure that what we are about to say is actually true. And no matter what other bad things they've said or done, it will never warrant us speaking falsely about anyone else. I believe that if there's going to be a revival in this country, it is going to begin with us. It's going to begin with God's people. It's going to begin with us not pointing the finger at everyone and saying they need to clean up their act. We need to examine ourselves. We need to be like David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. And we need to say, try my heart, O God. Search me and know me. See if there is any wicked way in me. Lord, if in any way I have welcomed lies about people, if I've spoken them, whether intentionally because I hated somebody or a group of people, or, or I don't even know them personally, so it's easy to depersonalize them. It's just a, a celebrity or it's a politician on a screen, and so I don't treat them like real human beings. I can say whatever I want to say about them as nasty and, and false as it is, and it's okay. Lord, if I have done that, forgive me. Help me to be the example of Jesus who even loves my enemies, prays for them, and speaks truthfully of them. Friends, we've got enough problems in our world that even if we know the truth of the matter, it's going to be a lot of hard work in the grace of God getting these issues and problems solved. But my goodness, friends, how are we going to deal with the great dilemmas we face in the 21st century if we don't even know what they are because they've been so twisted and distorted by lies? Friends, we got to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. And no matter what anyone does, we will never have any right to repay them evil for evil. For God, who could have justly punished all of us for our sins, has instead passed over us because Jesus was our Passover lamb. He forgived us of all of our sins when we were at enmity with God and deserving of all of his wrath. When we were enemies of God, through Christ, Christ paid the penalty for our sins so that we might become converted and that we might love our enemies 
just as God loved you and me when we were enemies of the cross. So it is my prayer, not only that we will keep this prohibition of the ninth commandment, but more than that, we would realize the love and power of the gospel of God, speaking truth of everyone, especially our enemies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you now and I just thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that your word doesn't just come forth in word only, but in power. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would transform and change your people. I pray that we would honor our fellow human beings, not on the basis of what we want them to do or what they fail to do, but rather on the very fact that human beings have been made in your image, that we have been bought at a price, that the lips that you've given us, the mouths that you've given us, the minds and hearts you've given us are called to be set apart, sanctified for the gospel of God, that we are to go into all the world proclaiming the truth of God. And how can we do that if we speak lies of our neighbors? How can we do that if our enemies we no longer love and therefore we never want to see them come to a saving knowledge of God. Or we will only represent God rightly if they first change and repent. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to be gracious to the people around us. Lord, help us as Christians, as churches, as Christian communities to build in this valuing of our neighbors so that we would guard zealously their reputations. We would never speak falsely. We will speak truthfully about sin and evil, absolutely, because that is also for their good. They cannot change if they do not know they need to change. And so, Lord, yes, help us to be bold and courageous about speaking the truth of evil that is said and done. But, Lord, help us to be equally zealous about speaking the truth of what is good and speaking the truth against that which is slanderous and false. Lord, we pray that you would use us to be salt and light in this world, and that perhaps by loving our enemies, we may be able to win them to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I ask for this blessing now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, everyone. So that was our, our study for tonight. If you have any questions uh, regarding tonight's study, our study of the text, the cross-references, the stories, um, practically um, what this looks like in this day and age. Because I know, especially with the internet, it is so easy uh, for me even just to pass something off, maybe maybe uncritically. And if it makes somebody look bad, if we don't like them, or they're a, they're a bad guy, they're a badgie, as my kids say. Uh, that's from the Muppets movie. If you haven't seen it, you don't know. There's a guy named Dominic Badgie. Um, it's actually spelled bad guy. He's like, oh, it's not bad guy. It's badgie. So anyway, um, I believe that God really wants to use us to create communities of truth, of truth telling, and that we do, we honor people, even if they are not, if they are not with us, they are not for us, they are against us. And yet we can show the love of God through speaking the truth. And I believe that's the way forward for our culture. We cannot deal with the big problems if we're going to lie about them in the first place. So we need a fundamental transformation of our culture. And again, remember the mountaintop is the gospel, it's hearts being converted, and it's down from that that flows everything else. 
So friends, again, thank you so much uh, for, for bearing with us, for joining us tonight uh, at an unusual hour. Again, just a heads up. So next Sunday, it's going to be regular 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time online full service uh, worship and everything else. So again, we're excited to be able to do that with you. Again, we have our Wednesday night Bible study, uh, our pastoral assistant, uh, David Taylor, a wonderful young man. He's going to be doing part two of the book of Zechariah. So I highly encourage you uh, to join us for that. Again, that'll be uh, 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. And of course, prayer meetings uh, throughout the week. And if any of you have questions or prayer requests, feel free to email us at information at imagechurchoc.com. That's information at imagechurchoc.com. Let me close with this prayer of blessing over all of you. May the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the Spirit of God fill you to overflowing with his love that you may abound in power and hope by the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everyone. Thank you again so much. God bless you all. I hope you have a blessed week. And let's be the truth tellers for God. Let us be people that live life in spirit and in truth. God bless you all. Look forward to seeing you again soon.